Hey everyone, I'm Jay Sokol, and welcome to Brazos Matters. Now here's a little trivia for you. There have been only three county judges in Brazos County since 1978. Now I had to ask a friend who's been around here longer than me to verify it, but it's right. Can you name them? It's Dick Holmgreen, Al Jones, and Dwayne Peters. And Dwayne Peters is indeed the current Brazos County judge. It's an office he was first elected to in 2010, so that means he's in his fourth term right now. The duties of someone in this position can vary from county to county, but the main responsibilities for each county judge in Texas is presiding over the commissioner's court, playing a leadership role in developing the county's budget, and having deep involvement with emergency management whenever there's a major crisis or a disaster. And Peters is part of all those in Brazos County. He certainly has plenty going on right now, but he still made some time for us. Judge Peters, thanks for joining me on Brazos Matters. Thanks for inviting me, Jay. Of course, of course. We've known each other a long time, but, but time is fuzzy to me. So... Tell me, how long have you been county judge? How long were you on the commissioner's court? You know, what has that career been? So uh, I first ran for constable in uh, 1992 That's and took right. office in January of 93. Okay. I was in that position for 10 years, but in 2002, I ran for commissioner and ended up winning that when I took office as commissioner in uh, January of 2003. Then I ran for county judge in 2010 and took office course in January of uh, 2011. What has that learning curve been like from constable to county judge? Well, I'll I, I tell you, I think that's probably what kind of made me what I am. I mean, I, I started out uh, on the on the constable side, which then I had to deal with the court, you know, for budgets and all those sorts of things. So I kind of know where uh, what I'd say the other side, you know, the, the court side is, is the budget side and we deal with that kind of stuff all the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I also know what it's like to be on, uh, on the department head elected official side requesting all those things. So, uh, it's, it's really, I think has been, uh, it's given me an advantage all these years to have had that experience, uh, and uh, I mean, I've, I've enjoyed all of it, but uh, I've, I've been happy to have been able to spend that kind of time. What are some things that you didn't know about the, the budget side of things when you were constable that that you learned when you became a commissioner? Well, I mean, uh, it, while I was a commissioner, I mean, I was commissioner precinct two. But what I even when I came in, I always tried to look at countywide. I mean, I didn't just focus on well, what's best for precinct two. Right. I mean, we did. I did try to you know get things for precinct two, but I always tried to look at uh, at the whole county. Uh, when I was constable, I was certainly focused on my constable office, which at the time was it started out as precinct four. They changed precincts uh, my last two years as constable and squeezed down and just made it four constables instead of there were six of us, I think, at that time. Hmm. And so they squeezed it down. I became constable precinct two the last uh, year or two of my, my career there. Uh, so, I, I, but I understood, I, I got the understanding of how uh, all the requests we make, but I was requesting as constable, I was requesting for my office and I really hadn't looked at, well, what about everybody else is asking for all of those kinds of needs and, and yeah. stuff? And so, you know, I'd be a little aggravated, you know, that 
I couldn't, you know, couldn't get what I felt like I needed. But, you know, once I was on the court and, I, and then I'm looking at the whole budget, you know, then you get you get it, you look at it from a different perspective. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. Because if you're uh, if you're increasing things over here, you may be reducing things over there. That's exactly right. Those are hard decisions. Yeah. So I know that you and the commissioner's court have have been extremely busy. We we're recording this. You and I are talking uh, towards the end of of June, and by the time this runs, there will undoubtedly be additional decisions and activities of of the court. But one of the things that I believe you guys have been talking about uh, are uses for American Rescue Plan Act funds. And I think you have a little over $44 million in total funding available and are working through proposed allocations of that. And if I'm not mistaken, the biggest allocation right now uh, in front of the court is for a medical examiner's office. Is that right? That's correct. Talk, Talk to me about the need and the kinds of discussions you're having about a medical examiner's office. Okay, so we we took a look at a medical examiner's office back in uh, 2014. Uh, Actually, we were talking at the COG about it and looking at regional uh, potentially, and we had a study done at that time looking at um, what what really the needs are and then uh, especially locally in our region, but then, you know, you've got to try to make that thing operate and, and where we might be able to draw business if you will from other counties that may that may need autopsies done Hmm. and it looked like at least at that time that potentially it it might would work i mean we we felt like we had a need for it you know currently jps do inquests i mean and you get elected to a jp and may have zero knowledge of uh uh, murders or you know anything to do with deaths and and yet you're supposed to make rulings on what was the cause of death. Hmm. Uh, and so uh, the size we are, we felt like it was probably time we needed to look at it. But it takes money. No matter what you, no, no matter what we talk about, it's always money, you know, and that's really the limiting factor. Yeah. So when this ARPA money uh, became av- available, and you're right, it's about $44 million, uh, close to two of it is going to go for the administration side from the con- uh, the uh, the folks we consultants that we hired but so we've got about 42 million and right now we have uh in that bucket if you will uh we plugged about 24 million in for a medical examiner's office and and as we work through this particular medical examiner's office it looked like that might be enough money but with the cost of everything, I'm not sure that $24 million is going to get it done. Mm-hmm. We really won't find that out until we're able to. We're working on right now, we're, we're, we had an RFQ uh, for an a architect to help to draw the medical examiner's office. And now we've got a committee that's, that's doing that study, and they're actually actively working on that right now. So we do need to get an architect hired, a firm hired, uh, and then, uh, then they'll take a look at what all the needs are for a, a medical examiner's office. And certainly, they are the, the medical examiner architect is going to be specific to that they're going to have done that kind of work. You know, we wouldn't just get an architect to go out and draw a medical examiner's office. Right. So, and they, we had some applied that have actually. Um, one of the firms uh, actually has just finished up the one in Montgomery County, and I think they might have done the one in. Um, Collin County, and then there's another firm that also applied, and they've done medical examiners also. So 
that's what we're working through right now. I w- maybe I'm naive saying this, but I would think that some of your biggest cheerleaders for this project would be the ME's office in Harris and Travis counties to help lighten their loads. Well, and, and I think that would be accurate. Uh, I, I, think, I don't think we've gotten any resistance from either. Uh, I mean, it's uh, it, 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 it cost us a good bit of money, you know, to send bodies there. And then I think, uh, I mean, I've talked to some uh, detectives who have been on the force in the past, and they told me that when, uh, when there was a suspected uh, crime committed, someone died in, the detectives would go to, whether it's Travis County or, or several years ago, it would, would have been in uh, Bayer County, you know, wherever the medical examiner, where the body was being autopsied, those uh, police force would go down there to watch the autopsy, to be there to verify so they could testify in court. And I'm assuming that probably still happens. So so those are the kind of things. I mean, I know that, that uh, the, the cities, I think, have been supportive. Both have been supportive of you know, a local medical examiner's office. Yes. I mean, certainly our JPs, you know, it, it will relieve their load because in that medical examiner's office we'll have a, a death investigator who will be uh, trained in uh, investigation of deaths so that uh, uh, so that we'll try to make the right decisions first about how that body's going to be handled, and then if it needs to be autopsied, then certainly it will go to the examiner and they'll autopsy. We've been really fortunate with uh, with the JPs we currently have. I mean, one was a death investigator with sheriff's office. One, another was a police officer. And so they've, you know, we've got some folks who had some experience when they go out there and they kind of know what they're looking for. So right. we've really been, we've been fortunate in that regard. But I, I think having a, a, a dedicated death investigator is going to be a huge benefit. Sure. So before we wrap up that particular topic, do you have a, a goal of when you'd like the doors to open? And also, you know where this is going to be located, correct? We are closing on the property that it'll be located. Uh, I think it's the sixth. It's uh, okay. Uh, we we were we thought we were going to get it closed this past week, and the attorneys were found glitches <laughs> that need to be fixed, and so you know that's. But by the time people hear this, hopefully that'll be taken Ex- care of. Yes, we should have that property uh, uh, owned by the county, and we'll be hopefully we'll be moving forward with uh, certainly the architectural. I mean, we should have the architect uh, chosen and and working forward trying to get the design uh, drawn. Good, good deal. Um, let's move on to broadband because I know that's something that has been. Uh, a concern of yours and the rest of the commissioners on how to uh, ensure that reliable broadband is extended out into the county because there are areas that that don't have that reliability and, and even businesses as well and you guys commissioned a, a survey but talk to me about the status of that broadband feasibility study yeah so uh i mean just a little bit of background i mean i'm on the council of governments and before uh, we even realized that what the real need for broadband was. Uh, the Council of Governments uh, managed to get a grant uh, and began to lay a line through the seven counties, around the seven counties. So so uh, we, we'd been working on broadband for a long time, but mm. COVID made us all aware of the need because when everybody went home uh, and we're working from home, 
there was a huge need for high, higher speed uh, internet uh, service. And so, I mean, that made everybody aware of it. And, and uh, fortunately, it sounds like there's going to be money available. What we did on the court, we, we looked at spending some ARPA money on broadband. The problem was we didn't know, I, I mean, we had difficulty trying to come up with an RFQ to get a consulting firm to help us work through it because I didn't know what we were looking for. Right. And, and I mean, we had a couple people that are somewhat knowledgeable, but I mean, we're looking for faster uh, speed uh, internet at the lowest cost. I mean, you know, but I'm not sure how you write all that. So, we, but, but anyway, we had good folks that, that actually drew that up and we got a consulting firm and, and our goal was of course to find out really what the, what was the need out in outside the city limits is really where we focused and there were there were maps by the federal government and state that that were that showed that we were like i think the numbers like 95 percent covered out there you know uh well that doesn't put us very high on the list if if that were accurate that does not put us very high on the list of getting anything right and so that was part of what we wanted this consultant to do was try to look at Really, what is out there? I mean, what what does it look like out in the county? And and in fact, are those maps uh, correct or not? Uh, they found that they're not. Uh, they've looked at at the speed out there, and we are lacking out there. So, with this consulting firm, my hope is that we'll be able to use let them help convince the state uh, where this three point three billion dollars is going to come from. That, that the maps that they currently think are accurate are not accurate so that we can qualify for more money to try to get uh, a higher speed out in the county. Did the consultant find that the maps were a little bit off or way off? They looked like, I, they they showed us a, uh, uh, a map that, it had like a dot on it that showed that it was really was the only spot in Brazos County that really wasn't covered well. And then they show us the map that they came up with, and there's a whole lot out in the outside the city limits that's not covered. So yes, it's drastically different. And I'm sure you hear from constituents from time to time that there there's an issue. Sure, you, we we do. So I was skimming some of the slides from the presentation that I think you and the commissioners received, and it said seven percent of households. Uh, don't have a home broadband. 65% of them said they have no good broadband option at their home. And you also, and I don't think it was intended as I understand, but you also learned a little bit about the quality of cell coverage. We did. I mean, and of course, I, I live outside the city limits. So I live, uh, you know, out on the east side. And I get, I've got terrible cell phone service, you know, and I actually switched in the last four months because I thought, well, this is just terrible. And I switched to another carrier and found that it was even worse than where I, <laughs> from what I left. No, no. And so, you know, it, it, cell phone service is terrible around here. And, and I mean, they all tell you, well, we're building towers. We're going to have more, better service and all, but it just never happens, you know. So my hope would be, and, and our consultants said, because they recognized that, and that's what the biggest complaint was with cell phone service, that potentially there might be some grant funds out there that we might help those the cell phone carriers uh to be able to cover the county better yeah. i don't know that i mean that really wasn't that was that wasn't part of the study it just popped up out there and and the consultants uh told us that they felt like there may be money that we could help you know to get better cell phone service we're, we're certainly going to explore that 
So at the time you and I are having this discussion, what are the next steps, the action items for the court and the county as it relates to trying to facilitate improvement and securing funds for getting better broadband and better cell phone coverage? Okay, so um, if with that, if we didn't have any rules we had to follow, right. which we do, then I would be going right back to those consultants and, and asking them, okay, so w- what is the next step? And my, I think the next step is we've got to be able to take those maps and convince whoever, I'm not sure who it is with the state, uh, uh, you know, that the maps you have, the state has, are not correct. These are accurate maps, and, and this is where we need to be looking at. Mm-hmm. And then tr- I, I'm not even sure that the state knows how to uh, implement $3 billion uh, and how you increase. Uh, I, I know we haven't known, but I'm hoping these consultants can help us a bunch in, in trying to figure out how, how we can best do that. One of the things they said is that some of that money may be available to the private sector, and it may be that we uh, uh, do an RFP, RFQ, to try to determine who can best serve those needs, and then we support, whether it's just letters or whatever, we help push uh, – those ideas to the state of uh, th- these carriers can can help Brazos County uh, uh, with our needs for uh, broadband, hmm. and then maybe get s- some of that money that's that's going to be available. They did tell us the the consultants told us, and I, I don't remember if you've got the slides or you can probably see it. I think it was like seventy seven million dollars to get uh, fiber. Uh, not actually, I don't think to the ha- every house out there, but at least get it to, like, a f- to the front of the houses, and then then the homeowners would then have to extend that last mile. I think is what they call it. I see. So seventy-seven million dollars is a lot of money. Uh, and fiber is the best uh, way for broadband for internet service, but it's it's really expensive. I don't think we'll be able to access that kind of money but we're going to we're going to do our best to try to go after it the the kind of the problem is though that i mean we we wrote the uh uh the rfq really for the project that they they gave us now we need to add to that because we didn't know what we were going to get out of it Mm. and so i've talked with the purchasing agent do you think we can extend that that rfq that we've already done and and then charge them to or ask them to do these next steps without having to go out for an RFQ again. Right. I mean, that's the kind of thing that you run into in government is that sometimes things just don't work as fast as you, as you, as you in the private sector they would. Right. But, but my hope is that we can do that and, and we can reach back out to the consultants. I, they'll be willing, and, and I think uh, it's just a matter of whether we can make that work uh, with the state law. Sure. Do I understand correctly that that – residents and businesses out in the county who are struggling, at least from a a cell coverage standpoint, can sort of uh, take take matters into their own hands somewhat and communicate their conditions to the FCC. Is that correct? Yeah, they made us aware that there is a uh, a, a web, I guess web page, a, a a URL that you can actually do a speed test on its FCC. And I think the more people that access that thing and do that speed test, it lets the FCC know what our, what our speeds actually are around here. So, uh, 
I, I think we're going to have that on our web page. I, I don't know where else they may be able to access that. And it's probably too long for me to try to. <laughs> I think it's probably a good bet if you go to FCC.gov and maybe do a search for speed test. You, you I, probably I, end up in the right place. I bet you're right. Yeah. FCC.gov. Try that and search speed test. With our remaining time, I wonder if we could talk about voting locations, because yeah. that's been another bit of business in front of the commissioners and certainly a topic of discussion in the community for a while. And. I believe you guys heard from an independent committee uh, with voting center recommendations, both for early voting locations and Election Day locations. And undoubtedly, I think the most notable recommendation was to make the Memorial Student Center at Texas A&M University a polling location during both, during uh, early voting and Election Day. That was the recommendation. So how did you feel about what was proposed? I mean, I think it's a good proposal. Uh, I mean, even during the time we we caught a lot of uh, flack from uh, from young folks who felt like it should have been at the MSC, and we had changed it over to City Hall, the new City Hall, mm -hmm. which really isn't that far from the MSC. And then we helped provide uh, bus transportation from the MSC back and forth during the voting locations, so that uh, a student would ha had every opportunity to go vote uh i felt like it even by doing that with the transportation side of it that gave citizens just general citizens out there there's better parking over at the uh the city hall and uh it's easier to access than the msc is for the general citizen uh, and then by giving that uh, transportation over there, it gave the, the uh, students a way to get there very easily. But I'm okay with us. Uh, that's what the recommendation is to go back to the MSC, and I'm fine with that. Uh, it, it's, it's been used a long time, so mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I'm fine with it going back over there. And uh, I think we had, I think it was six locations per commissioner precinct. And yes. so. Uh, you know, I th we should have plenty of spots that people can go vote. And certainly, because we're central uh, voting, you can go to any voting location and vote. You don't have to go back to your home uh, location. Uh, and that's what gives, you know, anybody, if they happen to be out on campus and if MSC is convenient, they can go there and vote. But if, there's plenty of other places to go vote. That has been a game changer. It ha really has. I mean, when, when, uh, when that became available uh karen mcqueen of course was the county clerk and she was mm -hmm. in charge of elections and i went to her and told her we need to try to see if we can't get that they weren't opening it up to just everybody you had to apply for it and 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 i she agreed i mean we all agreed that that was that's really i, I mean I, you know to have to go back to worry about where you live and what your yes. what that one precinct that you can go vote at uh, having the ability to just go anywhere is a it's it is. I... And and so the the idea of operating what twenty four voting centers uh, that's at least the proposal um, I, that takes a lot of people and a lot of trained people and it's not just a matter of opening the doors. I mean, there's a lot that goes into that. I know that's a challenge. It is, and I mean, it's been uh, that's been part of the challenge in the past is getting enough workers. Uh, I mean. It's really, uh, uh, as Trudy, our elections administrator, has said, a lot of the folks who work those are retired. Uh, 
So they've got some age on them, and, you know, working those 12-hour days uh, are pretty tough on them. I mean, my suggestion to her uh, hour-wise as far as early voting was we probably ought to go back to 8 to 5 for the first week, you know, that gives people an opportunity to to vote. Mm. Then we'll have the weekend, and then maybe do the 7 to 7, you know, that last week of early voting to give anybody, if they happen to can't get off their job from eight to five to go vote. Well, then that gives you the opportunity to go before or after work. And then certainly uh, election day is, is going to be seven to seven. And I guess there would be some cost increases associated with, with the proposed plan that was put in front of you. Yes. There, there's more voting locations. Hopefully we'll be able to get the, the staffing hired to, to be able to handle all those, but yes, there'll be more cost. Gotcha. So, Judge, with the last couple of minutes we have together, uh, anything that you would like to pass along in terms of what your constituents should be uh, looking and listening for or maybe how they can track the the actions of their county government a little easier? Well, I mean, we uh, it really kind of happened at COVID, you know, when we began to uh, broadcast on Facebook you know, the commissioner meetings. We really hadn't ever done that before. We would uh, post them after the fact. But when COVID came along, you know, it really had that, uh, that, maybe that's the good thing about COVID, you know, if there's any really good, is it ch- kind of changed the way a lot of folks do business. And, mm-hmm. and I think that is a benefit too, because you don't have to come down there to the, to the court to actually see what's going on kind of in real time. You know, you can watch it on on a computer. So those are things that that the the community can, if they're interested in in whether it's a particular item or if they just want to watch, you know, that it's available and they can they can see it in uh, in really real time. Right. Really appreciate you coming in here, Brazos County Judge Dwayne Peters. Thanks so much for your time. Uh, thank you for inviting me, Jay. I, I I appreciate that. Let's do it again. Okay. Sounds good. Since our interview, Judge Peters and the Brazos County Commissioner's Court have made progress on a couple of items we discussed. First of all, an architect was hired to design the future medical examiner's office that will be located on 11 acres along East 29th Street in Bryan. So maybe you can picture this. It's between St. Joseph Health Regional Hospital and Bryan High School. Now, they also approved a list of proposed voting locations throughout the county. That includes the Memorial Student Center on the Texas A&M campus, both as an early voting location and as an Election Day location. So in case you want to view the entire list of early voting and Election Day vote centers, you can do that right now at BrazosVotes.org. That's BrazosVotes.org. This is for the November general election. And by the way, early voting will run October the 23rd through November the 3rd. And then Election Day will be Tuesday, November 7th. Brazos Matters is a production of Aggieland's Public Radio, 90.9 KAMU-FM, a member of Texas A&M University's Division of Marketing and Communications. Our show is engineered and edited by Matt Dittman. You can learn more about us and check out all the Brazos Matters interview archives at kamu.tamu.edu slash radio. I'm Jay Sokol. Thanks so much for listening, and thank you for supporting KAMU.